Welcome to Golf Drifter, brought to you by GolfDrifter.com. New Zealand is entering its third week of lockdown. Vaughan actually may be able to escape pretty soon, but for me and Grant, another boring week inside, watching the rain come down on the windows. It's been a tough old week. What better way to uh, brighten up our days and talk a little bit of golf, and we have lots of golf to talk about. Welcome, men. Hey, boys. Uh, yeah, it has been, you're right, week three of uh, lockdown, and you're dead right. About an hour ago, I booked a tea time to play by by myself on uh, Sunday afternoon, which seems like a small thing, but it's going to be quite exciting to actually get out there and have a hit. It's not like anyone would actually want to play Bottle Lake with you, though, so I don't know if we really need to make a deal of the fact to play yourself. To be fair, there was only two tea times left by the time I got on there. It's a pretty popular course. Unbelievable. Who are these inbred folk? Oh, come, come on now. Easy. <laughs> Grant, how have you uh, survived another week stuck inside? It's no For those people listening from overseas, New Zealand, uh, we have a pretty tough hard line on, on lockdowns. There's no there's no semi-lockdown. We are inside unless you are basically picking up groceries or going for a walk. It's a uh, pretty miserable place. Oh, yeah, pretty miserable week, all right. Um, yeah, just as you say, Stacey, Casey's stuck inside, looking out, dreaming of golf. I'm very, very jealous of you, Vaughan, even if it is uh if just a few holes pin in the chance to swing a club would be nice at the moment i'm uh, missing it but yeah thank thank god for televised sport whether it be league or baseball or um or plenty of golf as well but yeah that's probably yeah. the only thing keeping me sane to be fair thank god for a uh, a six hole playoff eh? a whole a whole extra yeah. third of a round of golf how how big big monday morning in new zealand i uh, i watched the last few holes watching Cantley come through. I have a, a bit of an interest in Cantlay at the moment for mine and Vaughan's competition which we'll talk about soon but uh, second week of the playoffs, done and dusted Cantlay winning um, the BMW, interesting playoff event, lots to talk about, let's break it down but so uh, yeah, initial mm. thoughts guys um, did the right man win? Oh, I yeah. certainly think the right man won from what I saw um, gee what a great performance down the stretch getting into the playoff and then clutch putt after clutch putt after clutch putt in that um in the whole final round really and and particularly the playoff um i guess my my first take and i'll be interested to see what you guys thought of this was from here it came down to a battle between a personality that you don't really like and no personality at all um that, fair cool nothing fair against cool. patrick cantley but the guys are robot they it really it really made me think actually and i don't know if you guys have seen it or not but there's a really great netflix show called f1 drive to survive which which is a, a backgrounder on f1 that gives you the, the inside story and really helps you get to know the people involved and i was just watching that with patrick cantley thinking man golf needs something like that because there's just too many of these guys that seem like they're personality free robots and i'm sure they've got a story that would help you get more engaged with them but until they do i don't know it just I enjoyed it, but I just couldn't get enthused over it. Is this the is this golf's fault though? I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the Olympics. Like, so I'm a big baseball fan, right? As you know, and I have the same problem with baseball, where too many of the guys don't celebrate home runs. They don't enjoy the big play. Now, the young generation is starting to, but it almost gets bashed out of them not to not to show up your opposition or call it what you wish. But but I'd love to see a bit more trash talking. I mean, the way normal guys play golf or, or whatever it is. I mean. I think that is, I mean, baseball is a sport that's losing viewers potentially for the same reason. It's just not cool. I, I want to see those personalities. And yeah, Cantley, you know, obviously one of the better golfers on the planet, but probably one of the more boring golfers on the planet. And, and I don't think it's his fault, but it's almost that's the way they're bred, right? From day one to be respectful and that's golf. I mean, how do you change those guys? 
I don't know. I don't know what the answer is in, in that regard. All I know is that it was viewing at just the right time on a Monday morning, sitting at home, tapping away, sending some emails. It filled in an extra hour and a half of, uh, of my morning in the background, which was awesome. Um, I, I, my take out of it was, we've discussed a few times on the show, are the formats for playoffs wrong? Um, and based on that, for, on that particular playoff, all of a sudden, I have to say no because man, it was exciting. There was just so much back and forth. DeChambeau had what three chances, three makeable putts to win it himself. Um, then he made an incredible par when he hit it in the water. Cantlay was clutch. Man, it was, it was just it was really good. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. I would personally, I would prefer to have seen Bryson win for our competition, um, and I have a soft spot for Bryson, foolishly. Um, and so I would have liked to, to have seen him one. But, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was it was good. I do think playoffs should should visit more holes on a golf course. I know it's impractical yes. from a TV perspective yes. because I know they essentially shut down the course once the, the leaders come through. But I don't just think playing 18 over and over. Admittedly, they went to 17. But I actually think there should be three or four holes. On, I just don't. But logistically, it might not be possible. But some holes just don't suit playoffs and that they're quite hard to birdie but quite hard to bogey and I guess the 18th felt a little bit like that but um, look I can't fault it I mean I I thought Bryson probably deserved to win I mean certainly the risk reward style he plays when he's bombing out there and doing crazy things I mean as I think was was it round two when he was playing with Spieth and Spieth was he made the comment about it was almost must have been like that was what Tiger was like playing with Tiger back in the day when he was hitting at the furthest and the straightest I mean still no one can probably destroy a golf course like Bryson when he's in that mood. Well, he had a 60, didn't he? And, and, and Mr. Pretty Maker putt for a 59. And I mean, you know, 13. Poor putt. Like you say, Cassie, That was a poor putt. Yeah. He, um, on his day, when, when, when he, the style of game he plays comes off, he is the only one that really does destroy a golf course. He, he just makes it look like it's child's play, really. Um, it doesn't that, have how about that? And though? it does lead to, yeah. Well, How about that his putt? weakness, his chipping and putting, really. Oh. You know, if, if it was as good as some of the other guys on there, could anybody really beat him? Well, let's get into his chipping in a second, because that was actually another topic of conversation. But I just want to address this putt, because I think it's worth talking about. Because we've all been there trying to win something, whether it's two bucks off your mate or a bloody mm. trophy down the road. But that putt, he looked like a, an amateur. I mean, he looked nervous on it. He, he pulled it off the face. I mean... Yeah. I like those moments in pros. I like seeing them suffer because I mean, I, I almost felt his pain because I've missed those parts we yeah. talked about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I think my famous yeah. one tournament that looked horrible. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was awful. Yeah. It was an Golf. awful part. That's the kind of part that I'd expect me to hit uh, on the yeah. last hole when you're trying to shoot a decent score because you're so nervous. Not a professional who's just ripped up the course all day long. It was a really poor part. He essentially had the exact same part actually to win it. I think it was on the second or third to last um, playoff hole as well. Exact same distance, mm. that little right to left, and he, he and he hit the same putt again. He missed. You know, you've got to at least hit the hit the edge of the hole from that distance if you're a pro. Um, mm. And he did the exact same thing and pulled it off the off the face in the playoff again from same distance. Mm. So, yeah, for all the bombing, which was unbelievably impressive and yeah, crazy. Doesn't matter if you can't golf- get the hole. Golf Twitter had a good question today that I'll, I'll throw at you guys. Would you rather be able to consistently hit 300-plus yard drives or never three-putt again? 
Mm. So I'll, the assumption, I'll, jump, the I'll jump in and say I'll yeah. take I'll take the three hundred yard drive all day long. I think I would too because <laughs> I think that yeah I think assumption is that you're in play of three hundred yards. I'll take it because because I actually think I'll make enough birdies off that or pars that I will accept the odd three putt. I'll take yeah. it. That's both scientifically, rationally, and also just because it's cool to hit the long ball straight. That's where my game breaks down. So I'd take the long ball, hell yes, every time. Yeah. Okay, Paul? interesting. I'm, I'm going to go the other way just for debate's sake. Uh, yep. I actually would take I would take the never having a three-putt for it's probably my biggest, biggest bugbear in the game on particularly hard golf courses. Um, I think when you're playing your local golf course, three-putts don't necessarily happen so much. But when you're playing a big golf course, a resort course, or, you know, like if we're going to Barnboogle, fingers crossed mm. that that happens. There's a lot of three putts to be had out there, and four yeah. putts more than likely. So, for that perspective, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the no three putts. Yeah. Well, I mean, you I appreciate you might just be having the argument for the sake of the pod, but I, I just I think you're fundamentally wrong, and I'll I'll tell you why again because no one cares that you're three putted in five years time. But you'll remember the birdie and the and the eagle through having that 300 yard bomb that gives you that chance. It's like that's what I reckon. It's cool. He well, actually. That- that's the angles he creates. Crazy approaches that, that give him opportunities. But we're That's not best. Bryson. We're not professional golfers on the flip side either. You're making the assumption right. that you're going to, from these drives, give yourself all these birdie opportunities. Whereas I'm looking at it as I'm going to reduce the amount of um, pars, and this is going to give me more chance to make birdies because I'm never ever going to be in play of probably making a um, anything worse than a bogey along the way. So. Yeah, I see what you're I saying. suppose I, I, no, I suppose the, the unheard of part of this question is what are you driving if you're not driving three hundred straight? Like, oh, are yeah. you driving are you driving hundred and eighty straight or are you driving yeah. two hundred and forty? Yeah. I assume I'm just driving how I normally would, which could be anywhere in any direction of any yeah. particular distance on any given day. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think it was, you know, would you rather have the ability to hit three hundred yard bombs or never never two putt again? And I mean I'd the reason I'd take the 300-yard drives is, at the end of the day, regardless of what your score is, if you walk off the course and you know you've hit a whole load of bombs, you're going to feel like you've had much more Hell yeah, you're the man. No, I didn't have a Oh, well, I didn't have a, at least I didn't have a three-putt today. You know, it's kind of... That's, so, for me, it's it's that kind of... What what do you get more pleasure out of in, in, in a round of golf? To me, it's it's smoking one up the, up the middle off the off the tee rather than, rather than hitting a good lag putt sort of thing, I guess, so... You're certainly going to uh, the po- it's emphasizing the positive. Hey, Grant, hmm. you did bring up one of the topics I wanted to rip into. Actually, was around um, yeah. Bryson's. I mean, the, the commentators addressed it as almost potentially the yips, his mm-hmm. chipping yips, the fact that he was putting from everywhere, and uh, mm-hmm. that also I, I did enjoy that because I think we've all been there where we've mm-hmm. had a shot one day, and sometimes it happens every day that you just don't want to play. I mean, I mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a yips or not. I mean, he hasn't really come out and talked about it. He's hardly done any media. But um, what do you guys make of that? Surely that the style that he has, that kind of one piece takeaway, mm. whatever it is, the very stiff arms that seems to work so well on, on, on the drives and on the irons, fundamentally is not set up really to work particularly well or give you a lot of feel when you're playing short chips, surely. I mean, they, they're, they short chips are kind of more handsy, aren't they? It's, it, you're using that feel. Whereas if you're standing there with very, very straight, almost locked elbows, trying to hit those things to me just fundamentally you're going to have difficulty i think yeah it's it's, i completely agree but at the end of the day it's not about 
it's about getting the ball in the hole the best way you humanly can. Um, and if that's chipping or putting, I don't think it makes any difference as, oh, long, no, as, the, as long as the result is good. So, mm. uh, Casey, you and I have played a lot of golf together. You know that if I'm probably within 20 metres of the green and there's nothing between me and, like, water or a bunker, I never chip. I always putt the ball because I always feel that is the best way for me to get overall the best result. So I find it hard to, to knock uh, Bryson for, for doing it. What I'd say is he looked terrible over that chip on 17 where he, if he got up and down because Cantlay was in the water, he that's the tournament essentially over. And he had, mm. he had, he had, a, he had a duff. Mm. And he was lucky to get it out of, out of the rough. Um, so it did cost him. I think that, that that was the moment and the shot that actually cost him the, the tournament. But, yeah. Well, the old adage, the old, uh, was a bad putts as good as a good chip? I mean, it's true. I think with a pro, though, you need all those shots, right? Yeah, Because there'll be course. times when the putt's not going to be there. But, no, it, it was interesting. I mean, our friend Justin, um, a, a dear listener of the pod, he won't mind me saying this, he's also in the putt from anywhere camp. I mean, in those uh, resort courses we go to, it's not uncommon to see him putting from I mean, I would have seen a putt from 50 or 60 metres away when Good he man. can. So, Good man. No, I, I, um, <clears throat> any shots that you guys are <clears throat> – my throat. Any shots that you guys are absolutely don't want to play? We've talked about some of the chipping woes, but uh, anything that uh, essentially you'll just avoid with, like, the plague that comes to mind? <laughs> well, yeah, well, I mean, we, Casey, you've played with me. You know, you know I get frequent doses of the shanks, and it's, it, it's brought on by certain – sort of ground angles and it's for me it's only it's only on chips short chips around the green from sort of 10 to 15 yards in from certain ground angles and I I just know what they are now so I will just avoid those like the plague and I mean I've used the putter I've I've used a hybrid I've used a three wood I've actually tried using a wedge with one hand I've used a wedge (laughs) backhanded you name it I've done it to anything to avoid hitting what you call a normal chip shot which is the one that I shank um, what is then, what's the ground condition? Is it uphill lie, downhill lie? It's or, a it's it's an uphill it's an uphill lie where I feel like I'm and I'm to the right of the of the pin, so I'm, okay. I feel like I'm kind of scooping the ball towards it, and that's what that's what gets my the club face on the wrong angle for me and just mm. fires it, squirts it off at a right angle. Um, so I, I know I kind of know now, and I almost I my feet. You can almost feel the, con- the terrain with my feet, and I just know, okay, yeah, no, that's I'm, I'm not going anywhere near a wedge there, um, and, and it's why I ended up buying my Mister Chips for purely for that reason <laughs> because it, it's, I can kind of I can go back to I can go back to oh. that one, and it's basically like hitting a hitting a long putt, you know. For me, my my problem is my mental issue is is it's to do with when I have to fade the ball towards trouble, like I. Every pro I've ever been to wants me to hit a, a short controlled fade, essentially, as opposed to having a draw. But if there's shit out to the right, even if there's shit miles away, and I should hit a fade to a to a pin, no matter how far back I get, I just cannot get myself confident to hit a fade without thinking I'm going to hit a big slice. And, and actually, even on days when I'm hitting the draw 90% of the time, I just see something about trying to hit a controlled fade that just does my head. And I'd rather close the face, aim way out to hit a hook and basically hook it in from a mile out of bounds back in. I just yeah. I just panic about losing that control fade. And so that's for me, if I've got a – probably it's it's worse than like the five, six iron range. That's sort of getting into the mm. top of my iron range. Mm. I just yeah. I just cannot keep my head down on that shot and drive the ball yeah. off it. So that's my, that's my weak spot, I reckon. 
Interesting. I'd say mine is 50 to 60 metres out uh, in the middle of a fairway on a tight lie, a really <laughs> tight lie. Yeah. For some reason, I can't take that full swing. Um, I get I get nervous. It doesn't matter whether there's trouble in front, side, back, whatever it is. It could be wide open. I get nervous because I've hit too many poor shots from that area and that region over the course of my life. And that's the area that I tend to start to get too close to the ball because I'm trying really hard to control my to control my swing, control my pace, and I end up getting too close to the ball, and that's when I start shanking the ball, Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and you, de- you, you tend to de-sell those ones too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and like you, I've tried everything. I've used yeah. my hybrid five and run yeah. them along the ground, and yeah, uh, yeah, I've tried everything. And particularly when you go through those little shank periods, it's just mm. you feel physically ill in your stomach. You do. It's awful. Yeah. And for some reason, it. for some okay, reason, right. your game gets to the point where it keeps leaving you those shots too. No matter how how yeah. hard you try, it's always, it doesn't matter what you do. You're always going to end up in that exact spot you don't want to be in, sort of thing. Yeah. It's funny you say that, actually. I read an interesting article this week um, about reasons to walk off the golf course. And this yeah. was this interesting <laughs> after a few weeks ago. I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but it's reasons to – seven times when it was acceptable to walk off the golf course. And uh, the shanks was one of them. As basically yeah. said, if you've got them and you don't know how to get rid of them, yeah. it was number two. It was basically slow play was number one. Yeah. Basically, yeah. the shanks was number two. Yeah. Um, then it went into, like, terrible playing partners and, and emergency situations. Yeah. Um, but I thought the interesting one, and this actually spoke to me, because remember a couple of weeks ago when I had my round at Pupuki, mm. it was when your form was causing a replical damage to your psyche. And I, that's how I felt after mm. two hours. Like, mm. And I kind of got that, because that's what the shanks effectively mm. is, right? When you know you can't beat it, yeah. and you're going to essentially pay for this for the next three or four months of your golf. That's okay to walk out. So I thought that was interesting. But just going yeah. back to tour, tour championship for a Sorry, going back to that. Yeah. BMW, but it relates to the tour mm. championship too. Does it matter that the score is minus 27? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Do you care? Does it matter? I personally don't think it matters. It's just a par number. These pros play the course the way pros. I think in some ways if it didn't even exist and you just had a score that was you know, 260 or whatever, that's probably more accurate. I, I mm. don't mind it being negative 27. I, obviously, that's a course where they just, it was all in their favour, but does it matter that it's negative 27? Didn't matter to me in the least. I, I I wouldn't want to see that every week, but but that's what I enjoy about golf. It's different courses you go to create different conditions and different scores. And some sometimes someone will go low and drag the field along with them. Other weeks the field stays pretty even. But yeah, to me that's golf. You don't want to see it every week, but yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I probably would, you don't want it for a major. You don't want it for a large championship. Do I want it every week? No, but. It was quite a fun course. There was lots of people shooting low scores. There was birdies everywhere. Mm. I thought it was a pretty good advertisement for the game. Yeah, mm. good. Yeah. And la- lastly for the PGA, uh, who wins the Tour Championship this week? You love or hate the format. We've, we've debated it. The players have debated it, but it is what it is. Who wins mm. this week? I want one name. Go Bourne. John Rahm. That's it. Easy as that. simple. Yep. Yep. Grant. Uh, um, Finau, Tony Finau. Well, that's a good pick. I like that. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I, well, I, I actually think it's probably Rams the betting choice, but I'm just going to mm. say that I think he's due Justin Thomas. He's got a few Ooh. shots to make up. I think he, he's due. I do have a, he's, 
we might as well put our cards on the table here, Vaughan. We've got mm. this is the culmination of a season's worth of betting is coming down to this week. Me and Vaughan have talked about this before. We have our uh, weekly picks. Hopefully, you'll join us next season, Grant. But we get yep, to pick cool. four, yeah. four players, four players a week, and uh, we can't pick the same players. We are down to the last week in our format. I think it's better than the PGA's official format by far. But uh, we're down to the final week. I'm up by 530 points. The winner gets 500. So Vaughan will need a good week. You'll need. I need to win. Need, you need to win, and then you need your other three guys to sort of beat my four guys. Um, I have – so obviously we can't pick everyone because some of them are exhausted. I have uh, – I do have Cantlay, which was an absolute gem. So him finishing first was good for me. I have Cantlay, Harris, English, Thomas, and I've got to make my last pick. It'll be somewhere way down the field. I've run out of top guys. Who do you have, Vaughn? Uh, I've got John Rahm, Cameron Smith. Deliberately left Jean de Chaffle all year for this particular tournament because he always wraps this course up and one more yet to be decided. Yeah, Xander's going to have to come back from a wee way back. But I agree. I mean, I don't think 10 shots is, is impossible. Obviously, it counts against them. But uh, look, I, I think I'm going to say Thomas just because I want to put a name out there and I'll look like I'll look smart if he comes through. But Ram's the man. And I can accept Ram winning as long as my other uh, guys come through. But Vaughan, on that note, I think it's only worth... Um, making the stakes a bit more real and discussing our, our prize. So our prize is around at a championship golf course. Last year you won and I took you out to Winross Farm. Yep. Um, just while we're watching this weekend, I want to know what course am I, am I taking, what course are you taking me to that I'm paying for if you win? Oh, that's a good question. I had put no thought into that whatsoever. I'm just happy to be playing championship golf with, with you, Casey. That's my reward. That's and a shit answer. That's a uh, shit answer. Come on, you can do better than that. That's weak. Okay. To be honest, I actually don't care where we play golf. It's the fact that I'm actually the winner and I get another year's bragging rights. Um, and the, the fact that I've won the last couple of years, uh, I would really like to extend that, that streak. So I, actually, I don't really care where we play, mate. It's, it's, it's all good. I'll, I'll come up with a better answer next week. Where, where do you want to play? That, that... Well, I do agree that bragging rights is important. I think you're up 3-2. I think this is year six, and I think you're up 3-2. So... Um... Yeah, it is, a, it is a big one for me to get back to, to level pegging. Um, why does he know? And I'll bring it up again just because I want to remind you that my good friend Tiger won me this prize, but I am owed around at the hills uh, by wow. you for Tiger winning. I think I'll throw in the new the new Millbrook nine. So I think if we're going to be in Queenstown, yeah. let's, let's nice. play the full Millbrook, the new nine holes. I think they open up in a couple of months. So when you're watching the weekend, you know a guy? I know a He's guy. An unreliable <laughs> man. It's I know him too. But uh, it'll be... <laughs> If you can get us on there, we'll, we'll play it. I think that opens soon. So, no, looking forward to that weekend. So, for those listeners out there, um, yeah, basically, root for me. I'm the underdog. Um, not really. Clearly, it's warm, but I deserve to win because I had lost last year. So, there you go. Look forward to that. Um, yeah, well, so what, do you guys think of, um, what do you guys think of this format for the Tour Championship with Cantley starting at 10 and then kind of going down from there? Oh, we talk, we, if, we think... If you think, yeah. look at it and you, and you say Cam Smith, who qualified fifth, is starting five shots back, is Cantley getting too much of an advantage over the rest of the field? You, you guys who are finished, you guys who have finished like twenty-one to thirty, are basically starting like on zero or minus one. Have they have they got any real chance of winning? Do you think? Yeah, I think they got ten shots in a pro tournament. You, you can come back from that. Hmm. I just I mean, it just doesn't take into consideration the regular part of this there's just too much yeah. focus on the last two weeks for my that's life. what i yeah it that's, seems like a seems like a, i mean if we play casey we've been away on golf trips and we do we do the thing and we try and have one at the start of the at, on the last day where we sort of equalize it out a bit 
But yeah, I mean, I don't know. If you would, would you be happy starting ten shots behind? Well, not in one round, but over, but over four rounds. Four rounds yeah, that maybe. wouldn't seem yeah. that. Yeah, you know, four no, rounds. I suppose, yeah, yeah, I suppose if you put it there, yeah. I feel yeah, a little bit for Colin. I feel a little bit for Colin Morikawa, who obviously yeah. topped the FedEx Cup pointless, yeah. and he's yeah. now unfortunately he's injured. He's battling starts, a he starts bat- seven back. Yeah, yeah, he's he's battling quite a bad back injury. Potentially, mm. shouldn't have played last week, um, mm. which really hurts me for my golf picking competition because mm. I was saving him for this tournament, and he's he's injured. I can't really pick him, um, but he's put in you know what is it forty five, forty six weeks worth of work to mm. not really get the recognition that he had for and, uh, and nothing against Cantlay and Fee now, great wins, mm. but they're the two guys that are in pole position having two good weeks. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I, my, yeah, my take my take is that I think the format, whilst not perfect, it, I can't think of anything better. You need yeah. to give a guy a head start. So I'm happy with that. Mm. I absolutely yep. agree. Yep. The two the two thousand points is where it breaks down. You shouldn't mm. those those two events being worth so much more. I mean if you look at yeah. The playoff formats for other sports, yes, playoffs mean more because you've been knocked out, but you win the right, you know, home advantage, etc. I think maybe they should be worth maybe marginally more or something like that, or you just cut down the field or something. I, mm. I guess the problem is if you're just cutting down the field, I assume the problem with that logic is that the guy coming 125th can't make the last week or something like that. But I don't know. It's just that is the problem, right? Is that one big week and you're basically guaranteed to finish first or second going into the mm. tour championship. So, yeah, I guess yeah. the other the other way of looking is if they if you start with one one twenty five and just say right the top seventy after two days stay in, the, it, it's it's in theory a guy could be could be great all season and then have two poor rounds and be knocked out of the playoffs before it's really even started too sort of thing. So I guess they I guess they want to try and keep the guys who've been at the top in it as long as possible, don't they? But it just I don't know. It just well we've spoken about this for weeks now. It just seems like it's all a bit contrived. I feel like I'm making these two tournaments worth too much. Like, mm. the, the, the just, mm. and, and it's not just about the points, but they're pumping them up to be these, um, and they are really good tournaments. But you're, you're basically telling me that these two tournaments are better than all the WGCs and sit mm. just below um, mm. kind of the majors. Mate, I, yeah. I don't really yeah. buy into that. Um, no. Yeah, I don't I know. Agree. It'd be interesting to run some scenarios on. On different points, so if instead of being worth mm. two thousand, the last two weeks were worth a thousand for the winner, and mm. you know the equivalent drop down, what difference that mm. would make to the overall uh, table? Um, yeah. Right, just about the flip side to this, and I'll bring up the NBA as an example. And actually, baseball's even worse because there's less rounds in the playoffs. But do you? I mean, if, if an eighth seed sneaks in, potentially with a losing record, and they happen to win the championship, now I guess the argument, the counter-argument to what I'm about to say is they've had to win a lot of playoff games to win the championship, but are they a deserving winner if they were less than 500 for the season but turned up for the playoffs? Yes. Born, but... oh, the answer is simply, if you can win 16 yeah. playoff games against teams that are significantly better than you um, on their courts, you deserve the NBA championship. Mm. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Yeah, I don't have an issue with with um, it's a bit like the NRL, same thing. So you can you can sneak into the top eight with a losing record, and but you've got to battle your way through from there, and that's and and it's set up to to give the the top teams a, a slightly easier ride. I, I would rather see more teams in the playoffs than less. I think that's probably the, the, the biggest issue I would have with baseball, Casey, is teams that play 162 regular season games, and yet you know you can have a team that's way over way over 500. You know they can be. 
30, 40 games over 500 at times. And, and because they're in a division with, with a bunch of other really good teams, they can still miss out on the playoffs, you know? So, um, yeah, well, and it's even, it was worse back in the day when there was only an East and West division. Yeah. Teams that oh, that, win 100, yeah, that's 100 right. plus expanded games. It. Now, I'd, I'd still like to see them expanded even more. Personally, I, I really liked it last year, like in the hockey, and I think that in the NBA too, where they had like a play-in series sort of thing, you know, to, just to keep more teams involved. But um, Well, I think the, yeah. the American sports don't really have a choice because they don't have the relegation, right? So you have yeah. to have lots of playoff yeah. spots. I guess that's yeah. where English football has the, the, la- the sort of luxury of getting the other way. So you basically yeah. are in it all season. Yeah, um, yeah. I suppose golf, to an extent, had that too. It, it, the old 125 limit, am I right in saying it's not as it's not as drastic as it used to be. Like once upon a time, if you finished 126, you were stuffed, right? But now you, you sort of, yeah. you recycle yeah. into the Corn Ferry playoffs, Correct. right? And you sort of yep. come back through. Yeah. And there, yeah. So you basically went to Corn, you, you, you got automatic entry into their equivalent of Corn Ferry. It used to be the Nike Tour or the, whatever it was. Mm. Um, Charles Schwab. Old Schwab, Charles Schwab yeah. Tour. Yeah. And then you played the, you played the full season there and you went to their version of the, of the, you went to Q school basically. Yes. Yeah. Which was top forty. I mean, that is brutal. That's was it. I can't remember. Either six or eight rounds. And I mean, that is just yeah. Talk about pressure. That's brutal when you're playing. Yeah. The sort of um, you know the sort of money that's on, on offer for those guys. Yeah. So they have they've made it a lot a lot more kind of uh, graduated now. And that after top one twenty five, you get conditional status on the PGA Tour. So you get some some a limited number of starts and some sponsors exemptions and things like that. It's not quite as cutthroat as it used to be. No, interesting, yeah. interesting. Oh, well, let's, uh, anything else to discuss regards this week's golf around the world? Uh, I think the, the European Tour played another exceptionally-looking oh. golf course in Switzerland, I think. Is that right? Yeah, it looks stunning. Sure, Kranzer Serie A in Switzerland. Yeah. Uh, if that isn't the most beautiful backdrop of any golf course in the world, you're struggling to convince me otherwise. It was it is so gorgeous, that place. Yeah, uh, amazing. Really good tournament too, actually. Um they had a few. Uh, they've had a few decent names over there, right? Guys that have finished in yeah. PGA Tour and football now. But who was that? Is it R- Rasmus? What's Hoygarden. the guy's name? Hoygarden. Yeah, he seemed another a bit like Higo, right? Another one of these young guys that seems to be. Uh, he'll probably be playing the boring course of the PGA Tour next year, but um, yeah. looks, looks looks the stuff. Yeah, and I think his brother's no no mug either. Um, and Hendrik Stenson seems to just before Ryder Cup uh, yeah. captains yeah. picks suddenly emerged yeah. out of nowhere. To yeah. suddenly find form in the last three weeks, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, hey, what, hey. the one other thing I will say is um, I love um, no cut events as a um, TAB sports better. They make it a way way easier to pick <laughs> to, to bet on your top top twenty and top thirty finishes. Put it that way. Yeah, nice. Yeah, right, boys. We've got um. This week, because we've been stuck in lockdown with much time to discuss complete bullshit, we've got lots of questions that have come up from us and, and some of our mates to discuss. So we'll get, we'll get stuck into it and uh, look, we'll do as many as we can fit in the remaining session, but uh, uh, all bets are off the table. I want to hear some good thoughts. So um, first question we got this week is, and it's, it's very relevant to uh, the lockdown, we've all got a bit of time on our hands, but how dangerous is the black hole of online sort of golf coaching tutorial that you can get into when you accidentally stumble into one video on on Instagram or YouTube and all of a sudden you get served a thousand a day? I mean, to me, it is a real black hole in golf if you let it get to you. And, uh, and I have a little bit of lockdown and I luckily haven't played to put implement any of the things, but I've watched some deep, dark, dirty training videos that I can't even begin to explain about missing knuckles and different setups and 
Yeah, I think every one of those videos is is literally da- the most dangerous thing to your golf game. But I get, well, I'm, I'm addicted. I can't, I can't let them go. Thoughts? <laughs> I feel like we need an intervention here uh, <laughs> rather than a discussion. This sounds absolutely abysmal. Um, I, look, to be honest, I avoid them like the plague. I don't need any more bad thoughts going through my head uh, other than the last 25 years of, of, of golfing. So I'm very fortunate in that I, I've never really had to dig too deep in, into that because I, I, I really just don't need the... I just don't need the bad thoughts. Um, I'd rather just go. I know it's tough at the moment because we're in lockdown, um, but yeah, I, I just avoid them. Mate. It's just it's just that simple. Yeah, I've, I've I've had good and bad experiences. I've, I've one one experience good enough that I've actually bookmarked the video and I do go back and look at it occasionally. <laughs> oh, can you send this to the group for, for iron swings? And I will. I'll send it to you. It's not a bad one. Um, but I also went at one stage one of the many stages when I've had the shanks got a Kev, got a chipping tip from none other than Kevin Kisner on one of the four play videos. <laughs> I think he was, I think he was trying to teach Frankie Borelli how to chip and um, I picked up on it. Something I tried and I must've stood in my courtyard at home with my little piece of carpet and hit two or 300 <laughs> chips and absolutely ne- never even looked like shanking a single one and thought this is the greatest thing since sliced bread went to the course on the saturday morning hit one chip on the practice green shanked yeah. it, and was straight back to square one so that, brilliant i mean that's just yeah it, that says everything for me um what i am addicted to though is equipment review videos Rick oh. Shields and stuff like that i just yeah i mean he, he it shows up on my feed two or three times a week um ping new ping irons um, he was testing today, yeah. so that that kind of stuff. I guess that it, it's kind of golf porn, isn't it? I, that's my that's my thing is the equipment review videos. Yeah, I love those. Nice, excellent, uh, Asley. Right, mm-hmm. question two, and I thought this was actually a really interesting one that they got given to us. So, would you let a friend or a playing partner you play with regularly use a bit of illegal equipment or I guess equipment that wasn't conforming to the rules of golf. If it was part of their normal bag and they're just using it every week, um, would you let them use it? Would you let them just play with it without saying anything? Would you point it out weekly? Would you tell them they're cheating? Then you're not playing in a club tournament, but you are submitting your handicap. And uh, I suppose the example we had was a, a broomstick putter that you're anchoring is a good example, but let's just say any, any four part of, could be an extra long driver. It could be anything that potentially helps that person out. Would you let it slide? Letting it slide. If if they're good enough to weld a um, a long handle putter, and it makes a massive difference to their game, fair play to them. Because boy, you would have had to put in some effort and work to actually um, use that thing in the in the correct way. I don't know if you boys have had too many putts with one of them. They are. Uh, it would take a lot of getting used to after if you're putted without that for your entire golfing life. I mean, it's weird. Um, yeah. And read the long driver, yeah, it's a little bit weird. But hey, again, if you're good enough to weld it and you're not using it in tournaments, I say go go for it. So it's interesting yeah. though. You you sort of bought the assumption that the equipment is hard to use. What about if there's something that is? easier to use like it's, it's no no-brainer it's uh well then i'm buying one yeah okay <laughs> that's what i was interested in like you're assuming that the person's that it's not guaranteed they're going to make them better but i'm i'm hypothetically saying there's a you know a different club face oh yeah all of a okay. sudden is yep 
then to tell me where you bought it from and how quickly can I get one into my bag? Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah, like, that's what, that was my thought too. If someone's if someone's coming along with some piece of equipment and I can't be honest, I can't really think of what it would be, but let, they come along with some piece of equipment that's given them some ridiculous advantage that means that they're winning the beer every weekend. Then yeah, I'm, it's not going in their bag, you know. But if it's just if it's if it's something like a, a broomstick putter or whatever it might be, I don't know. Um, and they're using it, and it's not making a great deal of difference to their golf, but they're they're happy using it. Then they let, let them leave it in their bag. But have, on by the same token, I'm giving them shit every time they they <laughs> win with that in the bag too. I'm never letting them forget it. So absolutely. Well, the second half of this question, which we we done a little bit of research on because it took some time, but mm. what bit of equipment would you be interested in buying, non-conforming, if if it was available? And I've, I'll go first on this. I didn't actually answer the last question. Um, I wouldn't be that comfortable in using non-performing equipment because I think it, 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 it's a slippery slope to go down. But the Polara self-correcting golf ball, this is my pick. <laughs> go and have a look at it. It's uh, 75% straighter. Um, I have no idea how the hell it works, but um, they, they, the ball claims to minimize your hooks and slices by 75%, uh, percent, and it's not conforming, so it's obviously illegal. I don't really understand uh, what in the world it, it the, the the uh, dimples look kind of weird, but the the Polara seventy five percent straight golf ball is my uh, equipment of choice. Brilliant! Is that the is that the one where you actually have to line the golf ball up based on which way you don't want it to go, like, almost like a, a, a lawn bowl? Because uh, Rick Shields is, Rick Shields did a video on one of those, and you you, you have to yes. have kind of a lift clean in place to be able to do it because you you line up the dimples to say okay I don't want it to go left or I don't want it to go right or whatever and it'll self correct. Yes, itself. that is I'm ready yeah. now, which is yeah. actually going to completely stuff me up because I don't know which yeah. way it's going. So yes, yeah. so and so I'm, yeah, I'm not taking. It's worth, he's he's got a video on it and it works. Yeah, so um that would be a yeah. What are these yeah, golf, What are these golf balls sitting your back, Casey? Uh, the Polaris. Uh, yeah. Good question. I'm trying to look now. Um. I'll see if I can find some. There's actually an interesting article I'm reading with other golf balls and the Magma, uh, the Volvic Magna, which are, um, are they oversized? Oh, no, they're highly compressed. There's, there's certainly some other balls. I think we might talk about another podcast. Are they the ones that are slightly, they're slightly heavier or something? Don't they supposed, yeah. to, aren't they supposed to give you more roll or something? Well, they, no, they, they go further for a heavier oh, ball, which doesn't okay. make a lot of sense. They're bigger, mm. bigger balls. Because there is mm. bigger balls that you're illegally that you are yeah, there that is, legal, yeah. right? Mm. Yeah. And then there's and then there's ones that are that are illegal, too big. But uh, yeah, no, this is an interesting article. I'm, I'm looking up the mm. Lara golf balls, um, where you, you get them from. I'm uh, I'm intrigued to know. But uh, okay. they come from um, eBay. I can get a set for what looks like uh, US forty four dollars a dozen. The Polaris. Mm. That's not uh, bad. Extra yeah. straight. That's what about you, Grant? What do you, what are you, Grant? What are you buying? What, so I've got a couple equipment? actually. So the the power golf swingless oh, golf club. I love so this. it's <laughs> you basically place the golf club at the back of the ball and push a button, and it uses a some kind of a shotgun pellet thing to fire a piston at the at the from inside the the driver, um, hits the ball and can launch it up to two hundred yards. So basically, it'll fire the fire it like a shotgun. Yeah, without you having to hit it, but it's also controllable, so you can control the power to hit it between fifty and two hundred. So you could potentially use it for, you know, shots on the fairway too. I'll I'll just use it to replace my six seven eight iron, I think. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'd have one of those. I I, I don't know how you'd get on setting off a controlled explosion on, on every hole, but um, 
And the other thing is Shrixon have got some new golf balls out called the Q-Star Divide. I don't know if you guys have seen these. They're a bit like the old ping golf balls from back in the day. There's, you can get blue and yellow, orange and yellow, or red and yellow, and they're like the half and half. So Ooh. it'll be half blue, half yellow. And you can the idea being you can place them down exactly on, on the line that you get a putt with one color on each side and putt it, and it'll show you the exact alignment of how your ball's rolling. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, awesome. so you can, and you, you can buy them and use them in tournament play. Interesting. Well, you're always bound to put a light on your ball, right? So I suppose it's no yeah, different. Kind of the same sort of thing. So it's just, yeah, one half of it's bright, bright blue and the other half's bright yellow or bright red and bright yellow or whatever. Going back wow. to that point, I've never felt comfortable lining up my ball with a line because I always then second guess whether the line's correct. I feel like it takes away. Right. I mean, Bryson does that, right? He puts the ball down on the line and he puts, he just yeah. puts wherever the line is. So it's almost like, yeah. By the time he puts it, if he's misread it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I, I want to feel the putt, like the just choice. I mean, it probably logic is you should just put it down and do the homework before you putt. But I'm the opposite. If I actually see a line, I'll, I'll hide the line because I don't want to think about the line. I want to putt kind of an invisible line, I suppose. Do you guys line up with a ball, like a line on the ball? I do. I, I, I do line up with the ball, with a line on the ball, um, on the top towards the direction I'm trying to put it. But I must admit that I have really been noticing, and I'm probably actually going to change this year, and I'm going to change for one reason, because the best putter on tour that does it the complete opposite and has it in the middle, and that's Cameron Smith. And I really mm. noticed it when he won um, two weeks ago, because there was a lot, a lot of shots of him putting. He did it the complete opposite way to me, and that's I'm, so I'm going to change it. It will be an interesting um, move, actually. Yeah, I, n- I noticed that too, Vaughn. Actually, I, mm. I thought that was really interesting the way he did that. I, I I spent many many years lining my ball up uh, with the line on it, and I got that from Tiger, I think it was. Um, and I read somewhere once he said that he he did the same thing basically because he felt that it took one one part of the equation out. That you, you, yep. You, you lined it up, you had the line, you didn't need to worry about it. All you need to worry about then was the pace of the putt. And I did it for a long while. I've, I've changed back now. I haven't done it for quite some time. But that's really more about me just trying to change things up because I didn't felt like, feel like I was making enough putts. So, um, but yeah, it, it did work. But you've got to be confident that when you put the ball down, you've, you've, you've actually read the putt. You know, you've got it pointing in the right direction and then you just hit it on that line. But yeah. Interesting. Well, you, Vaughan, what, what illegal equipment are you bringing to play? Oh, well, I'm, I'm so disappointed. I. You two have absolutely smoked me on this one. Um, but just a note, because we were just talking about different golf balls, um, up to 1990, I don't know if you know this, um, it was actually legal to have to play with two different types of golf ball uh, in any given round. And mm-hmm. when I say two different, uh, as in two different sizes, so there was different size golf balls for when you hit um, a smaller ball into the wind, and then you're able to use a larger uh, ball, which was actually getting a little bit lighter when the wind was behind you, and that was legal up to 1990. Okay, I did not know yep. that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know where I read that. Um, I was going for the anchor putter. Um, I don't know why. Uh, every time I've used it, I absolutely hated it, but the fact that it's outlawed makes me want to use it all that much more and be the <laughs> one guy out there being... Uh, the guy with the illegal putter. Um, yeah, it appeals to my sense of stupidity. No, fair enough. I, I hear that. And yes, I would mock you. I would call you Adam Scott and I would basically question, question everything you did. So, <laughs> Brilliant. Well done. Right here. Um, good question. Good question. Right. Next question. Good question. Um, 
This is actually uh, based on our good friend Eric uh, Van Royen and his pants made another appearance. They're actually getting a lot of airtime at the moment. You know they are changing fashion by the uh, by the day. Um, is golf attire due a major shakeup? Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to say for pros, but uh, you know even amateurs, is it due a major shakeup? Is there anything we would desperately like to see change? No, I mean, I'll go. You know, no. Okay. Um, I don't think so. Uh, I've always been a, a proponent of I want to see them playing in shorts. Yeah, that's uh, all I was going to say. Shorts is oh, it's just a bloody no-brainer. It's absolutely ridiculous. What did I, say? I, can't is the, I mean, you talk about making every man golf move. Put them in shorts. That's what everyone does. Yeah. We all play in shorts. It's, it actually makes me angry because they all play shorts in pro-am events and shit. I mean, what's, yeah. the, what's the difference? Can I I? I'm, I'm going to give uh, how about in majors, they still wear pants. Just like if you play at Wimbledon, you got to wear whites. Oh, uh, maybe. I, I guess it depends. I just feel like it's an everyman move to wear shorts. It's just cooler. I mean, you wear I pants got, if you want. No, look, I only wear shorts. It could be negative one, and I'd still be wearing a pair of shorts. Um, I don't know. Just to keep the majors special, keep. I think you should keep them in pants for that. But I, apart from that, shorts, all good. Yep, Grant. Anything? For yeah. You? Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that was my one on, on the pro on the pro scene. Definitely. Yeah. I think um, I was thinking about it probably from an amateur's point of view, and I I think about what it's you know over the last twenty five to thirty years, uh, and th- things have changed enormously. You know, from from the old the old days where you you know had to have your shirt tucked in and you got told off for wearing the wrong coloured socks in the clubhouse, and you, you Casey wouldn't have been allowed in the clubhouse at Remuera without it without a jacket on sort of thing after the round. And, and so, you know, it has um, it has lightened up a lot in that respect. I think it could probably still lighten up a bit more. I, I, would, I wouldn't mind, particularly in summer during um, the daylight saving hours, I wouldn't mind seeing courses get a bit more lax where, you know, they could encourage people to come along and, and even if they were just in jeans and, or, sorry, jandals or shorts or singlets or whatever, um, you know, if it was, that wouldn't worry me too much either. I think I think it's still a little bit stuffy about that at times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shorts was my go-to too. It's the obvious one. I think it's already happening a little bit. The change with things like hoodies and stuff being allowed and general comfort. Yeah. I think yeah, forcing guys to change clothes to go into the clubhouse is stupid. Yeah. Um, I mean, that not being able to wear your hat in the clubhouse, I think that's a bit stupid. I mean, if your hat happens to be on, I mean, not that everyone really cares, but just let it no. stay on. I mean, I just think anything that allows you to feel comfortable and wear clothes. Well, I think about when you're on like holiday and stuff like that, you can wear the yeah. clothes you're golfing to the bar afterwards. I mean, that's, that's what right. I want to do. So yep. comfort, shoes. I mean, you're seeing already more more sort of you know, normal trainer-looking shoes. So I think it, I think the evolution is happening. I, I'm not sure we'll all end up in Van Royen pants, but uh, you never know. He's been playing pretty well. There might be something to that, Grant. Keeps your ankles like tight. Keeps them in for chipping. It's good. <laughs> it's, just it's, good. The, it's just the kind of... What's so wrong for me is he just can't make his mind up. If he, if they were just track pants, that's fine. You have the the tight ankles, but the tight the track pants at the bottom and suit pants at the top. You know, it's, it's just, <laughs> I, I just don't get it. It's, it's he's, so wrong. he's sticking with them. I don't see too many other guys uh, fighting yep. it. So good yeah. for him. Good well, for good him. for him. Yep. Imagine yep. The, the market and, he, and to be, money he and to be fair, he did he did come through for me at the TAB on the weekend. So I'll give him that. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yep. Nice. Righty, two questions to go, and uh, the, this is a good one, actually, probably the one I'll be looking forward to most tonight. But um, what is the craziest golf stat that exists? So I, I, I've broken this down for your benefit, and I've been keen to see your research. Um, mm. 
looking for a stat that uh, the craziest golf stat that might necessarily um, re- it doesn't have to be based on the pros, but then also a stat that can never be beaten in golf. So that probably is going to have a pro kind of something that the pros will never beat again. I'm uh, okay. I'll, I'll go first. Um, I and thank you for this link for when I stole it off your your link that you sent us. Oh no, don't steal mine. I am going to steal. I'm going to say that. Mainly because I've been trying to figure this out for 24 hours, and I cannot figure out how this is possible. I know what you're going to say. In June of 2013, two men, two men played eight rounds of golf in one day in eight different countries. Yes. Starting off in Italy, and they finished in uh, in uh, Netherlands, I believe. I, I've tried to research their route. The two courses were 1,200 kilometers apart, so they kind of driven. So I don't know if they had a helicopter. I don't know how they did it. I assume they played a helicopter. I mean, eight rounds in a day for a start is just, that's crazy in its own right. That's they played 140, <laughs> what's it, 144 holes or something? They played in Italy, Netherlands, France, Germany, Luxembourg, Austria, Slovenia, and Belgium. And I've looked at it. Like These countries aren't like, I thought there might have been this point in Europe where, you know, you step across a fence and you're in another country and you step the other way and you're in another country. But they played eight rounds in a day in eight countries. Wow. I just can't figure it out. I mean, I've, I've wow. spent a lot of time trying to figure out how this is feasibly possible. I mean, I assume they played one hour rounds or something and ran around the course. I don't even know. But that is a stat to me that I found particularly hard to uh, – that, that, that's, that's, my, that's my crazy stat. And my, um, my stat that won't be beaten on a pro level, and you know where I'm going with this because I've already been mocked for bringing it up, for bringing it up a has-been, as you would say, Vaughan, but my good friend Tiger Woods. <laughs> um, I thought this is actually – this is where uh, the question came from, but this is the stat. Woods was a combined 126 under par in majors from 1997 through 2008. Of the 117 players in that span, with 50 or more rounds played in majors, Phil Mickelson had the second best score to par in that span. He was plus 98, 224 shots behind Woods. Um, I'm not really sure it's a, something that can be beaten because it's, it's sort of, I don't know, I guess the stat would say, will anyone ever be lower through uh, 10 years of playing majors, 11 years? Considering Phil was plus 98 and he was the next best and Tiger yeah. was negative 126, um, I'm going to say that that will never be beaten. Yeah. Good call. So that was my two stats. Jump in. Go, Grant. You go, where you go? Do you want me to go for one or you? You go, mate. Okay, all right. Well, so I've got a couple. So one that will possibly never be beaten. Longest time between the first and last PGA Tour victories. What do you think? It, what do you think it is? Well, I believe this has come up on a previous podcast. I believe no, we talked no, about no, this. That was, no, that was be- longest between two. This is between oh. the first and the last of, oh. long, of multiple victories. on the PGA Tour or just on the PGA the- Tour. On the PGA Tour. Oh, that's a good question. Oh, okay. Um, it's, got to, it's got to be a name player. So got it, currently to stands, it currently stands at 30 years, four months, and 10 days. So, yeah. so this is a player that's one young and then one 30 years later. Yeah. Are they currently on tour? They are. Phil think, would have to be close. I mean, Phil would have to be in the mix, wouldn't he? It's Phil Mickelson. Oh. 1991 Northern Telecom Open as an amateur. And the 2021 PGA Championship. See, uh, see, I would think that this could be broken by Phil himself. He'd tell you it could well, be. It, yeah, good point. If anybody's going to beat it, it's probably going to be Phil, yeah. So the f- prizes, prize money, the, the, the 
the prize money he couldn't claim as an amateur in 1991 for winning the tournament, 180 grand. Prize money for the 2021 PGA Championship, 2160000 That's oh, crazy. Yeah. So that's my one that'll probably never be beaten. My crazy statistics, a bit similar to your one, uh, Tiger one, uh, Casey. Jack Nicholas in the 11 years between 1970 and 1980, played 44 majors. How many cuts do you think he made of those 44 majors? Ooh, I'm going to say it's ridiculously high. I'm going to say like 39 or 41 or something like that. 43, I don't know. 40, 40. Give me a go 40. I'm going to go 44. 43. He missed one cut oh. in 11 years. How many top 10s out of 44 majors do you think he had? Forty-four majors. He had twenty-eight. Twenty-four. Thirty-eight. Out of forty-four top tens. How many top fives do you think he had? I'm assuming a lot. Uh, <laughs> Twenty. Twenty-four. Twenty-four. Thirty top oh, fives and ten wins. Wow. How, how is that for consistency? You will not. I don't think anybody will. That's. I don't think even Tiger could probably match that. No, that's pretty good for Jack being the second best player ever. That was a good, yeah. good result. Well, um, yeah, yeah, wow. that's pretty good. Yeah, poor, poor, poor era of golf, clearly. Vaughan. Well, it's funny. But I'm not. I'm using this as my one. But Jack Nicklaus actually has 19 runner-up finishes in majors, which yeah. is eight more than the next player. Which is guess who? Be Tiger, wouldn't it? No. No. Oh, Louis. No, Arnie Mickelson. Oh, oh Phil, yes. Phil, yeah, yep, yep. Jack yep. Nicholas has fifty-six top five finishes and majors, twenty-three wow. more than any other player. Wow. Next best, 56. Yeah. yep. Next best, Tiger Woods at thirty-three. Yeah. Jack has seventy-three top ten finishes and majors, twenty-five more than any other player. Sam Snead yeah. at forty-eight. Insane. Yeah. That's why he is the goat. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, Ridiculous stats. Uh, I love this one because it appeals to appeals to me. Uh, the longest putt ever made, 125 yards by 66-year-old Fergus Muir. Of course, it had to happen. Had to, of course, happen in St. Andrew's Links on the well-renowned Eden course. Uh, he made a shot on the fifth hole right from the tee. Um, and, yeah, he hasn't done a heck of a lot in his golfing career, but He's made the longest putt of all time. I thought that was uh, quite impressive. Uh, and the other one that stood out to me, quite similar to yours, actually, um, Casey, in, in many ways, uh, was the, the most rounds trying to shoot their age in one day was um, achieved by Bob Kurtz, a 71-year-old golfer, former CNN and ESPN sportcaster, who shot his under, sorry, shot under his age seven times in one day in 2012. He was at the Oaks Golf Course. He played nine rounds before finally completing the task with rounds of 70, 68, 68, 67, 69, and ending with a 70 and a 69. That's pretty impressive. Wow. That's, wow. That's well done, Bob. Awesome. Well done. Speaking of, just, it makes me a little bit angry actually thinking about this. Ridiculous records. Out, out of golf for a second, what is international athletics doing? with allowing records from, like, the drug area back in, like, the 70s and 80s to exist. I, I just I thought about it at the Olympics. You've got a sport like women's shot put. When, when Val Adams was at her best, I think she was still a 
two meters or a meter and a half behind the, the woman that was winning in the mid 80s. I just happened to bring it up while you were talking because I've got my blood boiling. I was like, bloody hell, this is ridiculous. But there's still so many records from that drug era. The woman's 800 meters record was set by a, a woman in the Czech Republic back in the early 80s. A bunch of the women's throwing records. I mean, they'll never be touched. I will say never, but I mean, they must be 100 years away from being beaten. Surely mm. drug era sports just have to have it. I know athletics thought about putting a proposal in front of it, but is there anything more stupid than a record, world record existing for 30 or 40 years? It's just... The what, what do these women it look like? From, it takes away from, from the legitimate records, doesn't it? You know? What do these women look like? They must have been ridiculous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's all the Eastern Bloc countries, right? It's all the Russians, yeah. the Czech Republics. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's just nuts. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. Oh, the one I always remember, because I really loved the javelin when I was a kid, um, was, and they were throwing that thing just about out of the stadium in the late mm. 80s, early 90s. Like mm. they could barely keep it on the grass. So they had to change mm. the, they actually had to change the javelin to make it more realistic. Um, but as far as I'm aware, the Javelin world record still remains from that particular era with a different piece of equipment, um, which is quite hard to fathom. Mm. I'm actually looking up this right now. And uh, yes, the, no, the Javelin, uh, Jan Zelensky. Jan Zelensky, I think it was, wasn't yeah, it? 1990, yeah, 1996. He, uh, he was throwing at 98 metres. quite right. That wouldn't even fit on the grass. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, the woman. I mean, there's probably a few men's records too, but the ones from the 80s, they're just ridiculous. Like, you might as well. And some of them are clear. It's like they, they were proven to be drug cheats yes. too. I mean, like, it, I think Florence Griffiths Joyner's um, records still stand, don't they? Yeah, um, the 100 meters, the 100, woman's 100 meters is still Flojo. She's but then, set in 88. Yeah. Well, how do you feel, but Casey? With um, baseball and the and the, the home run records with Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and well, I mean, it's an icky subject. I mean, I, I probably would equally prefer those to be uh, removed too. But the mm. problem is that, and you, someone said, I think you said it, Grant. The problem is, what about if there's legitimate records set through that period? I think mm. athletics, from memory, was going to put a proposal in place where they're essentially going to have two records. They were going to put a line in the sand and say from 2000 or whatever the year was, it could be 1990 onwards, this is the 1990 plus record and this is the 1990 before record and, and sort of not dismiss that record. If you happen to hold it, you hold it, but almost have two records. The baseball mm. one's tough because those power records, I mean, clearly those guys were, were doing all sorts of things, but mm. how do you remove someone's lifetime stats without removing everyone's lifetime stats? And I guess yeah, what baseball's yeah. always had is that interesting Hall of Fame vote, which is almost the, the final step in deciding whether you're a good player or not. Right. And look, a guy like Bonds is probably not going to make the Hall of Fame, at least through the regular way they get voted. And he might make it later on through a, a secondary way they have. But mm. that's almost what he's been judged on. People said no. And that's, yeah, and that's basically them saying, you've got the record, but we don't think it's legit sort of thing, is it? Well, and, and I think it's the baseball writers of America, because that's yeah. baseball's always had that tradition of the Hall of Fame being kind of the finest litmus test of, sorry, the last litmus test of whether you're a good person as well as a good player. Yes. Right, yes. And he, he can't get in. Roger Clemens can't get in. There's a bunch of them that can't get in. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's an interesting final kind of step in the process. Now, mm. if you make $200 million on your way through and, and, you know, do you care? And Bonds has always said, I don't care, I don't care. But I think in the end, he does mm. care. Mm. Um, yeah, it's an interesting mm. one. I mean, those drug records are, are tricky because there's also athletes that probably don't know they were on drugs. That was, I did read an interesting story about those Eastern Bloc women that 
one of the arguments, some of them didn't know what they were doing right. They're on state sponsored programs. Like it wasn't mm. really their fault. They were, I mean, they must have been superhuman. I can't even begin to think what they look like. It must have been insane. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. If, a lot of them go into it very young too, aren't they? And, and like you say, they, they're, they're given diet regimes and exercise regimes. And it's, yeah, who knows? It's very possible that they didn't know what they were doing really. Just on crazy sports stats, my favorite sports stat is probably the, the Cal Ripken Jr. stat, the yeah. 2,632 games. Um, it's the one I know well because it, it will never be beaten because it's, phys- yeah. physically speaking, teams wouldn't allow players to not. I mean, every player gets a rest now every week mm-hmm. or two. But mm-hmm. 2,632 games in a row, which is, I think, about what, 162 games a year. So it must be the best part of what, 16, 17, 18 years. I had to do the maths. But mm-hmm. with that many games in a row, he did not miss a game. I think he probably towards the end started to play a few, started when he probably shouldn't have started, but that is a stat, which and, I mean... And is that, would, so that's as a starter, or was some of those as a pinch hitter? Or no, a, no, as a starter. He, he started right. in 2006. So he, he might have wow. come out of some games, but he started mm. 2,632 wow. games straight. That's insane. Wow. Yeah. Nice. I think at the end, it became a little bit of an attraction in its own right. The Orioles kind of it was almost like the greatest marketing employee in the world was just to wheel him out there. But um, he was still a, he's still a good player, clearly. But, yeah, that's a stat yeah. that I just think. I mean, you talk about just not getting injured, not not doing something that meant you couldn't play. I mean, it wouldn't happen these days because they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow it. But, uh, yeah, I don't, there's no one even with the current playing, I think, even above a, a season's worth. Mm. Yeah, that is insane. I was looking at the NBA at some of the, some of the stats there that I don't think will be – ever beaten, um, very similar to Cal Ripken. AC Green, best known for being a Lakers player in the 80s and being a virgin. Um, he also uh, had a streak of 1,192 straight games. Um, wow. You can barely get a, a single player now to play 82 games in a regular season because, mm. of, because of management and well, just anything that you can humanly think of. So that's a streak I don't think will ever, ever be beaten. Nor do yeah. I think that the Boston Celtics record of eight consecutive championships from 1959 to 1966 is ever going to remotely be touched. Um, there's just no way with the player movement that exists now in the NBA that you could ever actually keep a team together long enough to do it. So, Did they have a draft system back then? They did, but there was very, very minimal amount of teams actually playing in the in the league. We're talking right, 12, yeah. 14 teams at that particular right. time. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, still bloody impressive, but it also, ain't going to be touched. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's great. And he was a virgin to thirty eight. I did my research. That was a an impressive performance for an NBA player. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> clearly, wasn't taking lessons from Magic Johnson. Yeah, oh, he's playing in the Showtime Lakers. Um, of yeah. the 80s, they would have been surrounded by a lot of women. So, yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I, here's a nice one. Here's a good good streak. Uh, not necessarily for today, but keep keep an eye on for the next 50 years. The uh, New Zealand Warriors are currently 26 years without winning a premiership. And uh, I, I don't like their odds of winning one before that gets to 75 to 100, to be completely honest. Oh. But, but whilst hassling them, there's two teams currently in the NRL that have longer droughts. Can you name who they are? Longer droughts is in they haven't. They've never won or longer no, droughts? No, both these teams have won premierships, um, but their, their current drought is a little longer than the Warriors' 26 years and counting. Eels is one of them. Yep, they are the standard bearer at 35 and counting. Yes, yeah, so, because Para, Para won in like 85, I think it was. With, yep, so in the 35. Sterling in the team. Yeah. One um, more. Uh, good question. 
so it's not the rabbitos and it's not the roosters. The sharks won a couple. I don't of think Canberra's ago. won since the early nineties, <laughs> oh, have they? Yeah, Canberra since since Gary Freeman. Oh no, since, well, yeah, Mel. Since, no, Mel Meninga's days. Yeah, yeah, nineteen ninety four when we yeah. annihilated the Bulldogs in Mel's last game. Yeah, yeah. we're unfortunately one ahead of the Warriors uh, at 27 yeah. years. And I dare yeah. say that we're going to run right beside them potentially for that same 50 years. So, yep. Yes, I certainly can't see the Warriors. Well, the way the way they set themselves up and the way the way they kind of, the recruitment, I can't see them winning it anytime soon. That would be decades, really. They've got to com- completely change their approach I think personally, but yeah. the Warriors are just lucky that rugby is a bit stale at the moment because oh, totally. probably if rugby was actually doing a half decent job promoting themselves, it would uh, they'd mm. be have a tough time right now to stay. Mm, in fact, totally. league in general must be struggling without the Warriors being can we, presented. Since we've actually got onto league, you boys see the Latrell hit. Yes. Uh, thoughts? Abs- oh, I mean, he's he's an absolute liability. I mean, he's clearly a good player, but he's been you know it's almost like. I sometimes question whether these guys do stuff like that just to almost not want to play, just an excuse not to play. I mean, yeah, crazy. You can't be doing that stuff. How about, I mean, it was reckless, obviously. Um, But how about that it took poor old Joseph Manu to actually go and confront Latrell for the referee and the bunker to do anything about it? That well, that's oh, I do disgusting. hate that. But that probably costs the Warriors on the weekend, right? Guys lying down when they sort of feel contact to the face. You can imagine coaches almost oh, kind of bring that up now. Yeah, yep. yep. Um, I thought that was uh, I thought that was absolutely horrendous that um, that the bunker, which seems to jump in at, at every opportunity when there's actually something bad happens, just sits back and does nothing. I thought that was really poor. What is it with the with the bunker? And I've seen it watching baseball this week with this. They have a thing. They have a control center in New York or something, don't they? Yankee, uh, sorry, Casey. That the that um, decisions are referred to, and I watch it in every week in the in the Premier League. The same thing. How is it that with all of the science and all of the technology we've got, they just cannot get it right week after well, I think, week? I think the answer is is sort of simple in that when you slow something down enough. The logic says that you should actually figure out what it's doing, but if anything, it highlights inconsistencies that become more odd. Like, there was times when I feel like almost every rugby ball being put down looked like it could be bouncing when you slowed it down enough, but in real time, it doesn't look like it. It's almost like the bunker needs to review stuff with real-time eyes because I think when you slow it down, it it actually – I mean, league's a bad example of this. You you find other problems. It might get sent to the bunker for one thing, and then – and, and yeah, slow down, slow down mm. vision. It it's, it just doesn't look right. Slow down. No, it's a lack of consistency. As a as a fan yeah. of the game, I, I'm yeah. just so I don't know what I don't know what a try is. Sometimes I don't know what a penalty is. I don't know what's a sending off offence. You know, ten weeks ago, if you 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 couldn't have knocked the top off a um, a rice pudding without being sent off and. Mm. Latrell doesn't he wasn't even penalized originally. And then you put him in the bidding for ten for basically rearranging a guy's fate. I mean far So out. tell me tell me yeah. one thing I'd like to, to see change in all sports that have a, a, a referral system is I don't particularly like the way and the league's actually done a good job to get rid of this now, but I don't like well, sort of. I don't like the way that when they send up a decision, the video has to has to sort of change it. Because I think what it means is you send up yeah. these fifty fifty calls where you talk about inconsistency for one time it goes up as a 
uh, you know, and baseball goes up as out and it goes up as safe the next time. And, and it's the same decision, but it depends which way it's been sent upstairs. Yeah, I would yeah. prefer that they send it up and say, tell us the right decision. And yeah. if they don't know and they go, this is 50-50 in our opinion, then the, the umpire on field, if they can see a camera or if they can't, someone in the booth makes a decision. I don't, I don't like them having to prove the person wrong because generally that's where the inconsistency I think comes from because it's almost like by default it's already 50-50. And so then it's, it, it, that, that irks me. I'm not sure what you guys think. Mm. Oh, I agree. L- LBWs and cricket drive me up the wall when it's cricket season. Um, mm. You know, half the ball's pitching in line. It's uh, depending on how you, you get hit in line. Everything looks to be lining up, but it all comes down to what the umpire said originally, whether, he, whether he's yeah, given it out or not out. If it's hitting the stumps and it's pitching it's in out. line, you're out. Yeah, I yeah. know. Oh, Agreed. Yeah, 100%. And it's the same with, with lead. Set what, if, you, if you're not prepared to make a decision, don't, don't try and go halfway and say, I'm referring this upstairs, but I think it's a try. Well, if you think it's a try, award a try and don't go upstairs. But yes. have, have the guts to do one or the other. If you, yeah. if you can't make a decision, have the guts to say, I can't make a decision, or else do it the other way, make a decision. You know. So going upstairs for all these sports and bringing it back to golf – um, is there any form of technology that could be brought into golf from a review perspective that would be good? I can't think of anything because I can't think what... I mean, you have rules officials on course for kind of dumb golf rules, but I can't think where mm. referral... To, I mean, the only thing... Well, I guess the other... Yes, there is, but they do use this already, right? They do use mm. it for, like, hazard lines and stuff like that. So if someone hits and ball into the hazard, mm. they will often, if they can, look at the footage to see if... Yeah, that, where it's that was the one I was... That's the one I was going to suggest is, yeah, they, they could maybe do that a little bit more if possible as try and help golfers find lost balls. Often you'll have the on-course commentator that'll get it in his ear, the message in his ear, you know, that take 10 steps sideways and, and it's that's where it is sort of thing. But um, that's the only one I can think of. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite thankful that, that that's a sport yeah. that doesn't have endless reviews added to it, considering yeah. that they're out there for four and a half, five hours. I yeah. don't need reviews on, on top of it. Yeah, no, yeah. Absolutely, boys. We're going to wrap it up. We had plenty of other questions, but we've, we've had enough. We've got our blood boiling. It's time to go and uh, do nothing for another week. We'll warn you, won't be. Let <laughs> us know how your uh, solo golf goes. It's, um, well, I'm actually potentially rather than locked down and play Bottle Lake. So, you know, we'll see how that pans out. Oh, um, I'm going to take a video for live from Bottle Lake this Sunday because it's supposed to be a beautiful, balmy 19 degrees. Uh, I'll, take a, I'll take a couple of videos and send it to you, boys. Lovely. Well, hopefully look you'll be up there soon for the uh, the first ever Golf Drifter Open. So I look forward yep. to that. Good yeah, chat, awesome. boys. Way to occupy some time and uh, yeah. let's watch the playoffs. Remember, uh, let's, let's all vote for the old – let's all root for the good guys in mean, my team to win, so – yeah. Come on, Justin <laughs> Thomas. Oh, get on, Marty. All right, boys. Okay, have have a good week. Enjoy it, boys. Talk to you next week. See ya.